We are in revival. Everybody say revival. And so tonight at 6 o'clock, Monday at 7, and Tuesday at 7. So not 6.30, 7 o'clock, because it's summertime. We'll give you time to go to work and do what you need to do. But tonight, Monday and Tuesday, with Pastor Melissa Patillo, her and her husband, Pastor's New Life Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. And they've been there for over 10 years and they've recently taken over the pastor at the last four years, and they've done a wonderful job. It's growing, and uh, her husband is there preaching this morning. And uh, they, Pastor Jimmy, is the national men's director of the Pentecostal Church of God, so he goes everywhere preaching men's conferences and also camp meetings. And Melissa is going everywhere preaching women's conferences and also camp meetings. And so they've been very, very busy, so I've asked her to come in this busy summer, to minister to us. And I know that she will do a wonderful job. She's a fantastic preacher, gifted and anointed. Now, that was the formal introduction. Let me give you family introduction. Pastor Jimmy Patillo, when I was uh, 16 years old, I'm 42, so when I was 16, he came to youth camp and preached in West Virginia. And um, I went to Bible college when I was 17, so I was getting ready to leave And uh, he spoke into my life that summer, really spent a lot of time with me at youth camp that week, and made a tremendous impact on my life. So I went on to Bible college, and the second year of Bible college, I was in my dorm room praying. I was on my knees, and I asked the Lord, "Where? what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And so I had a little black book that I had, you know, this was before iPhones. So I had all the phone numbers and addresses there. And so the Holy Spirit said, open it up. So I opened it up, and it said, Jimmy and Melissa Patillo. And so I called him and went to his, their church for three years in Amarillo. And during those three years, they mentored me. And it's one thing to go to church and give your offerings and sing and praise and leave, but it's another thing to walk with someone or them to walk with you and to mentor you, invest into you, teach you how to do board meetings and business meetings, how to conduct yourself, and and even how to preach because sometimes you don't learn all those details in Bible college. And so those three years were a very informative and transformative in my life, but it didn't stop there. It was a lifelong covenant relationship that I have with Pastor Jimmy and Pastor Melissa it became a very covenant relationship. I become family to them. And not only did I become family to them, I became their son. And I am proud of that. And I love them from the bottom of my heart. Uh, They are still my pastors. I still submit to them. I don't ever make a big decision in my life without consulting with them because I believe it's biblical. And I believe as long as you live, you should be submissive to authority. And so I always consult them. I always call them. Every major decision in my life, I always consult them, and, uh, and they've spoken into my life, and sometimes it's been, you know, it's, it's always been the truth, and whether I wanted to hear it or not, they did it with love, and I am where I am today because I believe in mentorship, because I don't believe a two-hour service on Sunday morning actually does a lot of change in some people's lives. You've got to have somebody to go with you and walk with you on the journey. Church services are good. They're inspiring. They help us move along, 
but it's having a mentor that comes along that helps you dig up some stuff in your life. And so they are my parents. I love them. And I want to give her honor because I love her deeply. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady who has a heart for God, a heart for the world, and a heart for me and Tiffany. And I love her deeply. And uh, she, uh, throughout the years, they have been known to mentor people. But, you know, I'm her favorite. But now i got to share them with Ashley. But, and Ashley is their daughter, and so we, we, we love them. And would you give Pastor Melissa some of the greatest praise affirmation for her life and ministry? Affirm her, appreciate her, tell her that you love her, and welcome her to Christ Point Church. And we love you, Pastor Jimmy. We send blessings to you as well. And we miss you, Pastor Jimmy. He's there taking care of the church. Would you honor her today? Praise God. Will you just turn around and give the Lord a hand of praise one more time this morning? God is good. God is good. And his mercy endures forever from generation to generation. God is good. Amen. Thank you for, uh, for that great introduction, Pastor Josh. And um, of course, we love him like our very own, as he said. And um, we have just, he lived with us for about three years in Amarillo. He comes home every Christmas, and uh, I try to have his gummy bears there and chocolates on the bed and all of that good stuff. And we, yes, we have spoiled him, and I'm sorry for you because <laughs> we've spoiled him. But we're very proud of Pastor Josh, and um, he has uh, uh, walked uh, many journeys with us as we have with them, with him. And then when Tiffany come along, we just fell in love with her. And now I'm going to be a grandma soon. And, uh, you know, I could never have, nat- you know, kids on my own and natural kids. So God gave me two, a son and a daughter. And now he's added another daughter to my family. And I get to be a grandma soon. And I'm excited about that. And, um, Amen. They asked me the other, the other day, yesterday, they said, you know, we've, we're thinking about names, and we like this one, and we like this one, and we like this one, and they were, you know, how you do when you're trying to name a baby, and I said, I don't care what you call her, she's going to be my baby. So, you know, I will just love that baby, and uh, I can't wait till she gets here, and I'm going to spoil her very much. So, I'm excited to see what God is going to do this week. I asked God for an open heaven. And I believe with all of my heart that we are going to be under an open heaven. So I can't bring revival in my pocket. I can't bring revival in, uh, you know, in my car or carry it in my purse. But one thing I do know, that the hungry will be fed. The thirsty will be filled. And so if you hunger and you thirst for God to do something in your life this week, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he'll meet you right here. I believe in God that you will have a moment with him that will change your trajectory. I'm believing this week that God will give you moments where it is a defining moment in your life that begins to change your life.
That's what I've asked God for everywhere that I go, that God give us defining moments with people to where they know they have been with God. There are times in my life that I know I have been with God. I could take you to the place. I could take you to what I was doing. I could take you to the age that I was, and I knew that God had met with me. And that is what I'm believing for you this week. Amen. Are you open to it? I believe you are, and I am too, and I just can't wait to see what God's going to do. I'm so glad to be in, uh, in revival with Sean and Danae. Sean, I love you so much. I am so proud of Sean. I'm as proud of Sean as I am of Pastor Josh. My buttons just burst every time I get to uh, be in a service where he leads worship because he is anointed and appointed for this generation. And I believe that with all of my heart. I've known Sean since he's been a little boy. And he's came, he came from a great family, a family who loves Jesus. They were raised in the Cynthiana church at home. And um, I'm so proud of you, son. And I love you. And I'm so proud of Danae. And uh, I just wanted to let everybody know the worship team did fantastic and you're blessed to have Sean and Brandon and Ronnie the basket you guys gave me such a great hospitality basket I may just stay two weeks who knows had all my favorite stuff in it I'm a salt caramel kind of girl and uh, I'm a salt girl and uh, so they had my Diet Coke and all of my salted caramel stuff in there. And I tell you, I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful to see all of you. If you will this morning, turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We are going to read verses 27 and 28. Again, Philippians chapter 1. We are going to read in verses 27 and 28. Paul said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning on the thought, a company of faith in a world of unbelief. A company of faith in a world of unbelief. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Ghost and we thank you, sir, for your presence in this house. I thank you, Lord, that you have already been moving in this service today. Now, God, I ask that the Spirit of God begin to saturate this place today. I pray, God, that as we encounter you today, that we will never be the same again. I ask, Father, for an utterance from heaven today. We ask, Father, for your anointing in this house today. Touch your people, I pray. Father, I know there is a reading of the word, 
But Lord, I pray that the ministry of the word begin to come in great measures. I ask, Father, that the word of God has free course in this place and that you are glorified, that your people are edified and the devil is terrified in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. This company of faith this morning is the greatest company in the history of mankind. There's nothing like it. When this company is together, they've been known to turn the world upside down. When this company is together, they shake hell itself. And when this company comes together, the grandstands of heaven cheer them on. And I've been a part of this great company for 46 years of my life. And I'm glad to be a part of this radical bunch, aren't you? This company consists of men and women and boys and girls who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. This company has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. He loved her, he bought her, he's keeping her, and one day he's coming back for her, and she will be without spot and without wrinkle. I'm talking about this company of faith in a world of unbelief. This morning, we're going to talk about how this company of faith is unyielded, undivided, and unafraid. Say this with me. Unyielded, undivided, and unafraid. Now, as we look through the first chapter of the book of Philippians, we notice that Paul greeted Timothy, or Paul and Timothy greeted the Philippian church, and he told them, number one, how thankful to God that he was for them in verse 3. He told them that he loved them in verses 7 and 8. And he said that he was confident of the fact that he who began a good work in them would be complete until the day of Christ Jesus in verse 6. He prays for their spiritual growth in verses 9 through 11. And then he explains to them how his chains have actually advanced the gospel in verses 12 through 20. He goes on to describe the strait that he was in in verse 23. He said, I desire to be with Christ, but it would require that I depart from you. He said, but for you, it would be beneficial if I stay and that is in verse 24. So Paul was saying to the Philippian church, I am in a strait between two worlds. I am in between 
two places at one time. So after all of this heartfelt expression that Paul gives to the church, we get down to verse 27, and Paul begins with the word only. Somebody say only. Now this word only is very significant. Matter of fact, it is in the crucial emphatic position in the Greek, which means that it stands for one essential issue. In other words, Paul said, I've said everything that I've said to say this. This thing is the bottom line in the Christian experience. This is the bottom line in church life. This one thing is the sum and the substance of what I want to say. And what is that important thing that Paul wanted us to know? Paul simply said, this one thing that I want you to do is this, walk worthy. Walk worthy. Look at your neighbor and say, walk worthy. You see, Paul isn't telling them to get worthy, but he is telling them to walk worthy. Because you see, we have been made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. We became... Uh, uh, we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus became wrong when he wasn't so that we could become right, come on somebody, when we weren't. So we have been made worthy by the blood of Christ, but Paul is saying you've been made worthy. Now you need to walk worthy. You see, our walk needs to match our position. We can't just talk the talk and not walk the walk. Can I get an amen in the house this morning? Praise God. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to show you something really quick. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Paul says this in the King James Version. He says, see that you walk circumspectly, diligently, exactly, not as fools, but as wise, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Moffat's translation says, Be strictly careful then about the life you lead. 
act like sensible men. Not like thoughtless. Make the very most of your time for these days are evil. So don't be senseless, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, Paul's saying, come on guys, act like you got some sense. Don't act like a fool. Don't act like you ain't got any sense, but straighten yourself up and act like you've got some sense. So Paul is telling us in Ephesians, he is telling us how and giving us the picture of how to walk. Worthy. He says that we are to walk circumspectly. We are to walk exactly and we are to walk diligently. We uh, are to walk wise, redeeming the time. And we are to walk in understanding what the will of the Lord is. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to walk, I want you to behave, and I want you to conduct yourselves as Christians in a pagan culture. You see, Paul said only back in our text. He said only the crucial emphatic position, which means this one thing that I want you to do is to walk worthy and walk as a company of faith in a world of unbelief. Amen. Now, let's go back to our text. We've seen the importance of the word only. Go back to chapter 1 of Philippians in verse 27. We know the significance Significance of the word only. Now let's look at the significance of the word conversation. Usually in the New Testament, the Greek word for conversation means behavior or lifestyle. But I found it very interesting that here in this instance, Paul does not use that same Greek word. He uses the Greek word which means to behave as a citizen. Now that's strange to me. Because he's telling us to let our conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, do this one thing and let yourself uh, and, and behave yourself as a citizen. It's kind of odd, isn't it? But this is the one of the only two places in the New Testament where this phrase is found. So Paul said, out of everything I've said up to this point, one thing I want you to understand is that you are to walk worthy as behaving, by behaving as a citizen. Now what does he mean by that? Paul had just let them know, listen guys, I am in a straight betwixt two worlds. I want to go with Christ. I want to go to heaven. But it's better for you if I stay here. I am in a fix between heaven and earth. But now Paul is telling them, listen guys, I'm not the only one in this position. 
He's now saying that you are also in the same strait as I am. So he said, though you are on earth, you must behave as a citizen of heaven. Come on, somebody. Though you live here, you better act like you are living there. You see, the Philippian Christians knew exactly what Paul was talking about because they were a Roman colony and they were also known as Little Rome. Even though they were in Philippi, they were very proud of their Roman culture. You see, they spoke the language of Rome. They bore the titles of Rome. They kept the customs of Rome, and they carried on the affairs as they did in Rome. They dressed like Romans. They acted like Romans. They lived and conducted themselves as if they were in Rome. They allowed no infiltration of any other local influence whatsoever. They totally rejected the influence of the world around them. They were Roman colonists in an alien environment. So Paul, Paul is saying this, just as you've been following the values and the patterns of Rome, now you need to realize that you're citizens of another country. Come on. You are citizens of heaven. And as a result, your values should reflect your citizenship. Your attire should reflect your citizenship. Your behavior should reflect that you are citizens. Citizens of another country. I'm telling you Christ's point this morning that as times change and as the world changes and it grows darker and it grows more evil on every hand. We must remind ourselves that we are not of this world. We may be in the world, but we are not of the world. You see, this world is not our home. I'm only passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You see, we're citizens of another country. And Ephesians 2.19 says that we're no more strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. You see, our citizenship is not here on earth, but it is in heaven. It's where moth and rust cannot corrupt, nor thieves break in and steal. There is no darkness. It's where we're from, because Revelation chapter 2, 
22 and verse 5 says, there will be no more night and we will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because God himself will be the light and the Bible says and we will reign forever and ever in that city will you just give God a praise in this house and thank God that you are not of this world that we have a home and that we are going to a city whose builder and maker is God hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I bless you, Jesus, and I praise you in this place. Praise God. I feel the Spirit of God in this house. Woo, you better buckle up, baby. I feel it coming on. You see, Rome didn't want to just take over the colony. They wanted to transform the colony. They wanted to make it a mini-Rome, and in order to do that, they had to change the language of the people. Their titles and their customs. They had to change the way the people conducted their affairs and the way they dressed. They wanted everything to look like Rome. You see, they had to teach the people, you don't live to yourselves, but you live for the good of the state in Rome. Now listen, this may not sound like a battle tactic to you, but it is. How do you change a culture? You change a culture by changing people's behavior. You see, Rome knew something that Philippi didn't. You slowly but surely begin to cause them to tolerate small differences. And then they will begin to compromise big differences on what they believe and how they behave. You see, we must always be on guard. No matter how long we've been serving the Lord and no matter how long we've been in the ministry, what we tolerate, we will eventually compromise. But we're not ignorant of the devil's devices this morning. We know his ancient tactics. He wants to infiltrate the church with the standards of the world, just like Rome would transform colonies. You see, Satan tries to transform heavenly citizens on the earth by number one, changing our language. You see, if he can get us to tear one another down instead of building one another up, then he will have succeeded. If he can get you to walk in fear and doubt and unbelief instead of walking in faith and power and victory, then he will have succeeded. If he can get you to curse instead of bless, then he will have succeeded, but we're not ignorant of his devices. Look at your neighbor and say, we ain't ignorant. Number two, if he can give us, give, uh, if he can get us to change our titles, if he can get us to call sin an issue or a problem, if he can get us to call marriage a civil union, come on. If he can get us to uh, call the word of God intolerant hate speech. If he could get us to change the title of murder to abortion or a woman's right to choose or women's health care, come on, then he will have succeeded. But you hear me this morning and you hear me well. I don't care who likes it or who don't. I'm going to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God and of salvation and to everyone that believeth. You see, you can protest all you 
want to. You can take away my tax exemption status. You can throw me so far in jail that you would have to pipe sunlight to me today. But I refuse to go down to the devil's level. And I refuse to let the devil succeed. I will not lower my standards in this world. For I am a citizen of another country. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You see, if the end enemy could get us to be two-faced by portraying one thing at church and another at home, then he will have succeeded. If he could get us to cheat on our taxes instead of rendering unto Caesar what's Caesar's. If he could get us to dress sensually instead of godly and modestly, then our standards have been lowered. But if our enemy can succeed at causing heavenly citizens to behave like they ain't got no sense, instead of the sons and the daughters of the Most High God that we are, then the plan for, of God for this generation will be compromised. But God help us to walk as men and women of character. God help us to walk as men and women of integrity. According to your word. God help us to walk worthy. Hallelujah. So we're a company unyielded. Look at your neighbor and say we're a company unyielded. Praise the Lord. You see, in this company of faith, we don't know the language of surrender. We don't know the language of defeat. We have no rivals and no riots and no refusals. We're unyielding. in the fact that we will not bow to the pressure of our culture. We are unyielded in the fact that we will not compromise our character or our integrity in order to get ahead in this foreign land. You see, we are unyielded because we walk worthy of the gospel of the Lord. Jesus Christ and we walk worthy so that we'll be like Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 and 16 he said that we would be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom he shines as lights in the world holding forth the word of light that's what we do in this country we hold forth the word of life so number one we're a company unyielded, but and we tr we refuse to be transformed from the kingdom of light back into 
the kingdom of darkness by yielding to the enemy and compromising uh, the standards of citizenship of heaven. But secondly, we are a company undivided. Look at your neighbor and say, we're a company undivided. There's an old Ethiopian proverb that says, when spider webs unite, they can tie up a line. Snowflakes are frail, but if you stick enough of them together, they can stop traffic. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, two are better than one, for there's a greater return on their labor. One will put a thousand to flight, and two, and two will put ten thousand to flight, and a three threefold cord is not easily broken. You see, there's value in togetherness. I said there is value in togetherness. Being a part of a company is important. And we see in our text that Paul says in the second half of verse 27, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See, stand fast means to persevere, to persist. It means not to waver. It's the picture of the soldier standing fast against the onslaught of the enemy. You see, the soldier will defend his position at all costs. He refuses to give up ground. No matter the pressure and no matter the strength of the attack, he does not flinch, he is not unstable, and he is never defeated. So you see, much like that soldier, the Christian believer, uh, we are to stand, stand firm together and we are to stand fast in one spirit. This means that individually we all must make the effort and hold our ground to keep our hearts and our minds in unity with each other. Because when we are unified, then we are able to stand fast against the enemy by being uh, in unity. But you see, this takes effort. Staying in unity takes effort. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. Spadadzo. It means to be diligent. Now notice, Paul did never said, be diligent to produce unity. He said, but be diligent to keep the unity. I don't care how hard you try. Try. You cannot produce unity. If I could produce unity, I would have done it a long time ago in places that I've been. 
But no matter how, how strong you strive, you cannot produce unity. God is the one that produces unity. But we are simply commanded to keep the unity that God produces. How does God produce unity? He produced it by the blood of of His dear Son. You see, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if there are any divisions in our company of faith, they are man-made and not God-made. So it is a tactic of the enemy to keep this company of faith in disunity and chaos and confusion. You see, Satan's strategy has always been to divide and conquer. Kentucky's state motto is united we stand and divided we fall. And yes, that is a true statement. Jesus said it's something like this, a house divided against itself will not stand. So when we stand together, Christ's point, when we come together and we are unified, we together can fight the enemy and the enemy doesn't have a chance. We must fight for unity. We must fight for unity. We are to be of one spirit. We are to contend as one man. Literally, we are to contend as one soul, striving together. Christ's point this morning, you are a company undivided. You are a company of faith in a world of unbelief. Leave today, and this world of unbelief may fuss and they may cuss. They may fight and they may fume, but this should not be so among the company of faith. You see, the world today may distrust each other and they may always think evil of each other, but not so among this company of faith. We live by higher standards. We must refuse to go down to the devil's level. This morning, We have got to strive together. Strive together. Strive together. And this striving together gives us the word picture of an athletic team. They cooperate together against the opposing team. And that's what Paul is saying. This company of faith, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, We are like an athletic team. We cooperate with each other against the enemy of God. It's unity with a purpose. And when believers are striving together and there is a desperation about winning, there is no time for internal issues. Because internal issues will suck the life and the energy right out of the company of faith. Internal issues and chaos will just shift our focus from the main thing. They are simply distractions this morning. If you get a team of athletes, 
athletes fighting together in the locker room. They'll play poorly on the field. But when they're united with each other and they're united about winning, it's going to show on the field. Because you see, teamwork really does make the dream work. Can I hear an amen? So you see, Christ's point, we can't afford to be uh, distracted in this world of unbelief. There's people right here in your own backyard that are dying and going to hell. People that are sick and they desperately need a miracle. You see, our nation is at an all-time moral decline, and our traditional values are under attack. Our babies here and all over are being aborted by the millions, and we have no choice to to be a company of faith in this world of unbelief. Because it really doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory as we work and we strive together. Amen. And praise the living God. Praise the living God. I like the fact that you're reaching out to your community in the announcements that was made today. Because we can't be so inward focused. We've got to get our eyes out on the harvest field because the harvest, Jesus said, is ripe and it's ready to go. He said, just pray that the laborers would go into the harvest. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want to do my part in harvesting for the kingdom of God. Amen. You see, I know the world is dark right now and I know that times are uncertain and I know that inflation is high and there's a recession that is coming but I'm telling you as far as this company of faith is concerned this is our finest hour and this is our time to shine why because the darker the night the lighter the the brighter the light that shines we are a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle and we are washed in the blood of the lamb we are a triumphant church we go forward in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. You see, Jesus is coming soon and we've got to be salt and light to this lost and dying community. And just like they said of David of old, we must serve God in our generation. Hallelujah. So lastly, we're not just a company of that is unyielded and not a, just a company that is undivided But we must be a company unafraid. Look at your neighbor and say, I won't be afraid. All over the world, Christians are being tortured and killed after interrogations concerning their Christian faith. According to Open Doors USA, their watch list, I I look at that ever so often, and uh, Open Doors is a ministry that, uh, that helps us to stay connected to the persecuted church, which we should be praying for every day. And according to them, they said Afghanistan is the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. And right behind it is North Korea. They let us know that 340 million Christians have been persecuted and every two hours somebody dies for their faith. 
According to Open Doors, they tell us that with worldwide persecution, one out of every eight Christians will face persecution and ultimately their death. Now, if you think that the only threat is out somewhere else on the globe, if you think that the only threat of persecution is in the Middle East, we would be wise to think again. There have been many terrorists who have said that America, the protector of the cross, is being warned that the United States shall soon be forced to be in direct confrontation by the permission of Allah and the sons of Islam have been waiting for this day. You see, persecution is coming to America. Persecution has already been here. There are some of our friends in El Paso, Texas, that have already faced persecution on a different front. They were targeted and enlisted as an anti-gay hate group by a civil rights organization. They valiantly fought the battle in El Paso and thank God that they won. But we've got to stand with preachers and churches that are facing these types of persecution and help them strive together against the enemy. You see, preachers in America are threatened all the time with hate, the Hate Crimes Act. Free speech is still under attack in this nation. If there was ever a time that we need to stand up and be counted as the church in our nation, I'm telling you it is now. We cannot afford to be silent any longer. This nation was born in the cradle of Christianity and we must not let it die a heathen nation. In our text, Philippians 1.28 reads, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them evident token of perdition. In other words, Paul was saying, don't you be scared of your, out of your, be scared out of your determination to live out your heavenly citizenship. Don't be afraid in this world because this world is not your home. Don't let your enemy intimidate you. Don't let him get the best of you. Because he said, listen, their opposition to you is their own condemnation. He says, your calm, collective courage in the face of danger and persecution is a sure token to your enemies of the perdition or the Judgment that is awaiting them. The Spirit of God began to, do, to deal with me about two or three years ago every day to begin to pray for the persecuted church. And at first, I had not really thought about that. But God began to deal with my heart. And as He began to deal with my heart, then I began to find the prayer upon my lips that said, God, let them stand strong in the face of adversity. Give them courage and never let them uh, let down their guard. And I pray God, God that if it be so that they have to die, that God that you will cause 
caused them to be like Paul. The, when, uh, when history records that he ran to the chopping block. He ran to the point where he was going to be beheaded. Why could he do that? Because he knew what was waiting him on the other side. And I begin to pray, God, help our men, women, and boys and girls all around this earth to be able to be like Stephen. And as they were stoning him, that when he began to look up, he caught a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ standing and waiting on him to get to glory. You see, you can read the Fox's Book of Martyrs and you'll find that our company of faith down through the centuries has been tortured, boiled in oil, crucified and killed for their striving for the faith of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 37 lets us know that our company of faith were stoned and sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And the Bible says, of whom the world was not even worthy of these individuals. You see, we cannot bring a reproach on their valiant stand for Christ by backing down and by getting into fear over words like hate speech, crime, intolerance, homophobic, and bigot. You see, it's been said that more people have died for Christ in the 20th century than all the other centuries of the Christian era combined. It's our time to stand unafraid in the face of the enemy, regardless of what the outcome may be. You see, Tertullian said this, the bravery of the victims and their spirit of love and forgiveness turned the blood of the martyrs into the seed of the church. You see, but non-believers had been known to die bravely, hurling defiance and vindictiveness in the faces of their executioners. But the bravery of our company of faith has been vastly different. Because they have been known to die with hymns on their lips, with forgiveness in their hearts, and with the light of heaven upon their faces. The writer of Hebrews said that we're not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. You see, John said in Revelation chapter 6, and we had opened up the fifth seal. And I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwelleth in the earth? And the white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said that they should rest for a little season. 
Later on in chapter 7, John said, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great, great multitude, which no man can number. One of all the nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all, all the angels woo, stood around about the throne of God. And all the elders and the four beasts, and they fell before the throne on their faces. And they worshipped God. God saying amen and blessing. They said glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God and forever. Amen. And then one of the elders answered and said unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God serving him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne, the Bible says, shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more. Neither shall the sun light on them or any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne, He is going to feed them. And He shall lead them unto the living fountains of water. And God Himself. I said, God Himself. I said God Himself is going to wipe every tear from their eye. This morning I'm telling you that this company of faith in a world of unbelief is steady. We are steadfast. We are unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. We are a company of faith in the world of unbelief, but not for long. I said we are a company of faith in a world of unbelief. Oh God. But not for wrong. I submit to you that there's about to be a homecoming. For First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain obedient, be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord 
in the air and so shall we be forever with the Lord you see this morning our company of faith is headed to a city whose builder and maker is God where the gates are made of pearl and the walls are made of jasper the streets they said are made of the purest of gold and we are citizens of that country we are citizens of heaven where God one day will wipe every tear from your eye there will be no more death there'll be no more sorrow or crying neither shall there be any more pain the Bible said for the former things will pass away and Jesus said unto John right for these words are true and faithful and he said it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega I am the beginning and the end, and I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be be my son. Will you stand to your feet this morning and give God glory and thank him that you are a part of this company of faith in a dark world. I'm telling you it's your finest hour and I say shine baby shine. Shine on your job. Shine in your home. Shine wherever you go. Go and let the light of the glorious gospel be seen in Galena, Kansas. Let the light of the glorious gospel be seen in Joplin, Missouri. And wherever you may go. Because we need more people in our company. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I'm glad I'm a part of this great company. And I ain't leaving this company because I'd feel like the disciples when they told Jesus. Jesus said the multitude had just left him. He looked at the disciples and he said, you going to leave me too? And they said, where are we going to go? Because only thou has the words to eternal life. God is the only answer for you this morning. Jesus is the only answer to every problem you have. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I do know the answer to your problem. And that is found in Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Andre Crouch wrote for the world today. Above Him there no other because Jesus is the way Jesus said he's the way the life and the truth he's the way to the father no man can go to the father except by him and no man can go to the father lest the spirit draw him and I'm feeling in my spirit this morning that there is a tug and a draw by the Holy Ghost
There are some of you under the sound of my voice this morning that the Spirit of God has been dealing with you because you've not yet come into this company. You don't know what it's like to be a part of this great company. As Pastor Josh so eloquently said, that is a part all over the world. This company is not just here locally, but the company is in my church in Frankfurt. The company is in Argentina. The company is in Afghanistan and North Korea and China. As Pastor said, some of this company is underground. Some of this country is in great cathedrals in Europe where I've seen where they've actually had gems in the wall and gold in the walls. Many are in churches like this today. But if you are not a part of this company, I feel that the Spirit is drawing you to the Father. Because you see, the Father loves you this morning. He loves you with a love that you've never known before. And the Father just simply says this morning, I love you. Come to me. Come to me. With your heads bowed all over this building and your eyes closed. This morning, if you know that you're not a part of this great company of faith, and you would like to come and give your heart to the Lord Jesus, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, and live your life for once on His purpose and not your own, then will you raise your hands and let us know. Yes, Pastor Melissa, I want to be born again. I want to be a part of this family. Keep your hands up all over this building. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Will you make your way down? Hallelujah. Will you make your way down to the front? Pastor Josh, will you help me pray?